0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today is week four of our summer message series where we're walking through uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, later one of the apostles. He's writing to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey who are about to experience some pretty serious persecution under the Roman Emperor Nero. And so Peter is writing, uh, kind of sensing that these winds of persecution are beginning to blow, and writing to encourage these churches, you can persevere in difficulty. And we've looked at it now for the past three weeks of the, the primary way Peter encourages them and us to persevere is by reminding us, you are chosen. You have been elected into the family of God and if he chose you to be in his family, if he elected you to be in his kingdom, then he's going to be with you and he's going to provide everything you need to be faithful to him no matter what you're facing right now. And so it's just this really wonderfully encouraging letter to us of you can just keep going no matter what comes your way. Now, the, the first three weeks, Peter has really been focused on the, the passage we've been looking at. He's really been focused on lifting our eyes up beyond our problems and onto the kind of the grandeur and glory of God and who he is and what he's accomplished. And he's helping us understand this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. This is who you are because of that. And as we begin to grasp that, it's designed to make our problems kind of shrink back down to their proper perspective. Now, the the beautiful thing of all of these letters written to the early church is they all have this great combination of kind of soaring theology, teachings about who God is and what God does, and also very practical on-the-ground instruction. And so today, Peter is starting to transition us a little bit from look up and see who Jesus is and what he's done to now, okay, let's look down and consider how this actually impacts the way we live every day. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through chapter 2, verses 3. It's going to be about the, the longest passage that we're going to tackle at any point during this series. Um, but as we do, you'll see, I mean, easily it could have been four different messages. But the, the four ideas we're going to see are so tightly woven together that you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. So we're going to jump in and we're going to see Peter is teaching us four very simple things. He's saying, be holy be foreign, love deeply, and keep growing. So those four things we'll see. We'll read it together. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. Therefore, with minds that are, fully alert, that, that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies. Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So again, it's definitely the, the longest passage we'll tackle. I know last week we had three verses and spent 35 minutes. Uh, we will not apply that same ratio today, I promise, uh, or we would be here until about 3 or 4 o'clock. And honestly, I'd start getting hangry about 12.30. So uh, we'll, we'll get you out of here, but we're going to work through, it. again, four ideas. Be holy, be foreign, love deeply, keep growing. Now, I, I don't know if, if you have natural uh, rhythm or are musically inclined or uh, maybe poetically gifted, but those four ideas really just flow kind of off your tongue, right? Be holy, be foreign, love deeply, keep growing. And if I was cooler, more confident, musical, cooler, uh, you know, we might auto-tune that or remix it or do something, but we're not. Because I am too old, too white, and too insecure. So uh, we're just going to teach through it instead. So first thing Peter's telling us, be holy. He says, with minds that are alert and sober. It's calling us to really kind of this this mental, intellectual engagement with our faith. Now remember, Peter has just painted this soaring picture of our salvation in Christ, the new life that is ours, and the kingdom that Jesus is still to bring to us. And he says, our response to what Jesus has done is to live with minds that are fully alert and sober. What he means is that every follower of Jesus must be mentally, intellectually engaged with their faith. You are supposed to continually and intentionally consider how what Jesus has done for you affects how you live for him. This doesn't mean we all have to to strive to be some kind of brilliant scholar or intellectual, but it means you are responsible and I am responsible for whatever capacity or gifting God has given me for figuring out how does my faith react with the world in which I live. So Peter's telling us, look, you've got to be alert to do this. Don't fall asleep. Don't get distracted. One of the greatest impediments to spiritual growth is distraction and apathy. If we just give all our attention to other things, and and now more than ever, we might be the most easily distracted society in human history. I mean, if, if you don't believe it, how many times do you pick up your phone to do something, and in the space from your pocket to your face, you forget completely what you got it out to look at? Anybody else of like, it buzzed, I should check that alert, I wonder what the weather is, and then you, what's the news, and what's the, and ten minutes later you're putting it back in your pocket and thinking, I never checked the email, the text message, okay, like we are just, we're so, so distracted. Even the most disciplined among us are still distracted, and so it's important for us to pay attention to what Peter says. If we're going to be holy, we have to pay attention to who Jesus is and how that plays out in the world in which we live. He gives us a couple ideas just so we understand how serious he is. First of all, he says, as obedient children. So he's reminding us the call to holiness is a call to place ourselves under the authority of Christ. In the same way, you know, I I don't know if you, with my three kids, occasionally I'll make the statement to them of, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. Right? Or, or a different variation of that. These are not like kind royal family statements. These are just, uh, these are like the Tao coping mechanisms, right? Uh, you want to cope with something? Cope with what I told you to do. Okay? You can cope with that. Uh, you know, and, and so we'll tell them sometimes of like, hey, we're telling you about a decision, not inviting you to a discussion. So you can just go get it done, okay? And this is kind of a little bit what Peter's trying to help us understand. As obedient children. So reminding us, you have been brought in by the finished work of Christ according to the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit in you, and you have brought into his kingdom as his subjects, into his family as his children. He has authority over you, and you gladly and joyfully submit to that because it's the best way for you to live. So as obedient children, we're going to be holy, and where are we going to be holy? He says, be holy in all that you do. Making the point, there is not one square inch of your life that Jesus doesn't care about. He cares about how you think, he cares about how you speak, he cares about what you do, he cares about where you go, he cares about how you treat others, he cares about how you think about others, how you talk about others. He cares about what you do at school, he cares about what you do at work, he cares about what you do with your free time, he cares about what you watch, he cares about the things you consume, he cares about everything. So as obedient children, we're gonna say, okay, Lord, in every area, how do you want me to live? Peter's reminding us to be holy is to completely and totally surrender to the Lord. And then he includes that little line, as it is written, be holy as I am holy. Now now in this passage, Peter is quoting from Leviticus uh, chapter 19. In Leviticus chapter 19, God commands his people, be holy as I am holy. And then he gives them this incredible, detailed list of how they're supposed to live, making the point that the holiness of God should result in the holiness of his people. And the holiness of his people affects the way we do everything. Our relationship with Jesus should make us holy. Now, when it comes to holiness, If you grew up in the church, we probably have all kinds of experiences around the room, right? Of what holiness was. And and, uh, I got a text actually after first service this morning. A a lady said, uh, growing up, my grandfather pastored a holiness church. And she said, I showed up one day with painted fingernails and he asked me when I stopped being a Christian. Uh, you know, and, and so anybody have any experiences like that growing up? Maybe like I remember one of my aunts would always tell us the story of when she cut her hair off, and our grandpa half jokingly asked her why she didn't love Jesus anymore. Uh, you know, but but just they're different experiences, and and sometimes that idea of holiness gets twisted into there's a list of rules, and if you follow our rules, we declare that you are holy, and if you don't follow our rules. You are not holy and we we really won't have much to do with you. Now the, the thing is most of our rules, they change over time or they change based off of where we live or where we grew up. This is not the holiness Peter is talking about. He's not talking about a list of rules that you do. He's not talking about a lifestyle you adopt to try to earn God's love. He's not talking about a lifestyle you adopt to try to prove that you belong to him, but he roots our holiness in the holiness of God. Be holy because I am holy and you are my obedient children. Right, in, in the same way that with your biological child, you don't have to tell them, Hey, make sure your ears look like mine. Right, Hey, make sure that you have the same awkward gait that I do so people know you're my kid. Hey, make sure that you, you know, only like the foods. I, you don't have to do that stuff. It just happens because they're your children. What Peter's trying to help us understand is there are going to be intentional choices you make to live holy, but your motivation for holiness is not external, it's internal. You have been made like him. And so our attempts to live a holy life are not attempts to earn an identity, but they are the natural outflow of our identity in Jesus Christ. He is holy. He resides in us. So now we can be holy. But again, holiness requires a mind that is fully alert and sober. So we are going to continually ask the question, what does it mean to be holy here? And we're not looking to our own opinions, we're not looking to the, the advice of others, but we're looking to the scriptures, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're saying, God, what does it mean for me to be holy in this relationship, in this space? As a student, what does it mean for me to live a holy life in my education? As, a, as an adult, what does it look like to be holy at work, holy in my neighborhood? To be holy, as the scriptures describe, is to live a life that is set apart. God's holiness is all about his perfection and his otherness. He is completely unlike anything in the world because the world has been tainted by sin. And so when we're called to be holy, we are being called to embrace a a way of life that is defined by its otherness. To be holy is to be different. And just in case we don't understand it, Peter then begins to lay it out for us. So if if you slide down just a couple verses there. I believe it's in verse 17. Peter says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So again, now if, if you're not understanding holiness, he's going to help us by saying, okay, to be holy is to be a foreigner. Now everybody understands the idea of being a, a foreigner. Even if you've never had that experience yourself, you know by definition to be a foreigner is to be different right it means you're in a land that you did not naturally belong to there are some things that don't get along anybody ever had the opportunity to travel outside the country of your birth or the country where you were raised okay anybody uh travel one of those countries that had a, a different language okay uh how about a country that had a remarkably different culture Right, so not like, yeah, I crossed the border by Niagara Falls to go to Canada for 10 minutes. But uh, legitimately a different culture. Anybody that, that has ever been to a place where, I mean, it just feels literally like the world has been turned upside down. Yeah, so, so this is my experience. Like, I've, I've been able to go to a lot of different places, but I never feel more out of place than when I go to India. Like, from the moment that plane lands in New Delhi, I know And all billion people in that country know I am a foreigner. There is nothing about me that says this man belongs here. I am tall, I am white, I only speak one language, my wife wears shorts. I don't know how to eat uh, the curry the right way. There's just every, I don't like being around people. I think that we should obey the capacity of the train and not push it more than that. There's just I mean, and, and there are hundreds and thousands of other ways that Indians would look at me and say, "You don't belong here. I am 100% foreigner the entire time I'm in India." Right? And, and you've maybe had that experience, and you know when you're a foreigner, there's there's no real denying it. It's just kind of who you are. You can't do anything about it. And what Peter's trying to help us understand is when you have been elected by Jesus, when you've been chosen to be in his family, when you are following him, you've got the new birth into a living inheritance, it's going to cause you to live a holy life. And a holy life is going to cause you to stand out. The only way a foreigner stops being a foreigner is if they completely and totally assimilate into the culture in which they live. They have to adopt the language, the dress, the customs, every single part of it. And what Peter wants us to understand is that as followers of Jesus, this type of cultural assimilation is simply not possible. No matter where you live, no matter what point of history, no matter where in the world, no matter what the culture around you looks like, to be completely and totally surrendered to Jesus Christ will always make you different. And so you have to learn to embrace it. We have to embrace the role as a foreigner. Now, I, I, I know for us, if you're an American especially, which most of us are, if you're an American, being a foreigner is not a badge of honor that we wear. In fact, we we typically are offended by it. If if you don't believe me, have you ever traveled with a group of Americans to another country? All we do the whole time, we walk around just saying like how this place could be better, right? You know, if they would do if they didn't put in some stoplights instead of these roundabouts, if people would obey the laws and use their turn signals, they wouldn't have to honk so much. You know, basically we just walk around other countries saying, you know what these would make this place better if it was like America. Like, just make it American. It'll be great. We, we don't have that. And anytime somebody would try to push back on us and be like, hey, what you guys do is weird or foreign, our response is always, no, it's not. It's better. It's just culturally there is something in us. We do not like being called a foreigner. And yet Peter says, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to embrace the role of of the foreigner. He's gonna get into it even more with us later and call us aliens and exiles. So if you think it's hard being a foreigner just wait till he pushes in a little harder even. But for today we just want to settle into that idea of if I'm going to live a holy life it means I'm making a commitment to live as a foreigner. And to be a foreigner because of your relationship with Jesus Christ really is possible wherever you live. You can be a foreigner in your nation. You can be a foreigner in your hometown. You can be a foreigner in your own home. In any place where we adopt the power, the presence, and the transformation of Jesus Christ, he's going to lead us on new paths. And those who don't follow him will not understand or embrace every new choice and decision we're making. And what Peter's trying to help us understand is, that's okay. You were made to stand out be a foreigner. And he says, you're going to be a foreigner out of reverent fear for the Lord. So so again, reminding us, this is a life God is calling us to for our good, for his glory. We can trust him with it. But even in those spaces where I don't understand why I have to stick out this way, I'm going to live with a reverent fear of, Lord, if this is what you said, then this is what I will do. And that fear is not kind of like this abject terror of, I I don't want to talk to him. I'm afraid to approach him. I'm afraid he's going to judge me. I'm afraid he's going to condemn me. It's more just a a deep, serious, holy, reverential respect for who God is and what he's accomplished. And so we're going to live in that space. And, And then Peter also tells us the reason that you can live as a foreigner is because your salvation came at such a great cost. You weren't just purchased with silver or gold or other perishable things, but with the imperishable sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You were brought into his family, and his intention is for you to be different. So be holy, be foreign, and then he tells us, and love deeply. And this is essential to us, because if we, if we only emphasize the two of you've got to be holy and you've got to be foreign, we can very quickly become pretty harsh in our interactions with each other and the requirements that we're placing on one another. And so any conversation about holiness must also include a conversation about love. Love and holiness are not two separate things. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. To be holy is to love others. And to love others and love God is to be holy. You cannot separate those two things. And this is what Peter tells us. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Love and holiness must go together. Any attempt to live a holy life without a love for God and others results in legalism. It results in a world where we're just saying, okay, we're going to follow the list of rules to prove how much we love God and to prove how much God should love us. We're going to follow a list of rules so we know where we rank in comparison with the other people. And we quickly devolve down into those experiences of like, oh, you painted your fingernails? When did you stop being a Christian? Or whatever our modern version of that might. Oh, you went to a movie theater? Have fun in hell. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. School dances? No, we're not. You know, and, and so the, like the, obviously you can tell the ones I grew up with. Not the paint and fingernails. That was someone else. Uh, but, but the school dances, the movie theaters, every generation has their own rules. I'm sure right now there are things that we're telling our kids we don't do that, that they're kind of rolling their eyes like I don't. I don't see it. Now, I don't like to think that because I do think I've arrived at the perfection of faith in parenting. Um, You know, like I'm sure many of you in the room have as well, uh, but I'm sure we have our own blind spots that our kids will reveal. But here's the thing. I'm not going to apologize for telling my kids that God wants them to live a holy life, that he wants them to be different. But I also want to make sure that all those conversations are wrapped up in God loves you. He has a plan for you. This is why he's calling you. And as you pursue this path, it should also be defined by a love for each other. Part of holy living is our deep and abiding love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. When when Peter says that we're to love each other deeply from the heart, he's echoing the words of Jesus that, by this will all men know you are my disciples, by your love for each other. The Christian community is defined by its love, and its love is one of the things that makes it holy and set apart. In this place, and in every church around our nation, around our world, it's supposed to be a unique Christian community based on the love of Christ that expresses itself in love for one another and love for the world. But I love the language Peter uses because even in, in phrasing it, he's reminding us it's not easy says, you've got to love one another deeply and from the heart. And then reminds us, you're, you're probably not going to do it on your own. Right? But you need the imperishable gift of Jesus Christ in your life to accomplish this way of living. But when we do it, when we make that decision to consistently love deeply, passionately, fervently, intentionally, When we decide, I don't care how I feel, I'm going to love you anyways because you're my brother and sister in Christ. I don't care what you say, I'm going to love you anyway because you're my brother and sister in Christ. I don't care where we disagree, I'm going to love you anyway because you're my brother and sister in Christ. When we live with this kind of love for each other, it does cause us to shine like a city on a hill. To a world that lacks selfless love in almost every arena, the church is designed to stand out. Our love is a significant part of our holy witness to the world. And when we love well, it screams loudly of the transforming power of the gospel. We see this at at Royal Family Kids Camp every summer. So there are so many ways um, that Royal Family is set up to tell the gospel story without preaching to children in any way. you know, Because of our relationship with DHS and, and their help in, in getting campers to come to camp, we agree with them of, hey, we're not going to do altar calls. We're not going to do some of those normal things that we might do at our own church camp. Uh, but as, as Eddie and Don were sharing earlier, there is no restriction on us answering questions that a child gives to us. And, and again and again and again, they just kick doors wide open for us to walk through. Sometimes it's as blatant as what they mentioned earlier of a camper looking at you after you pray for them and say, do you have anything else to tell me? Right? Those kids better thank God they did not say that to me. Like, yes, sit down. It's going to take a while. Go get your friends and a notebook. Um, you know, but, but it's, it's just so easy. But one of the ways that we get to tell them about the love of Christ is through our relationships with each other. So again, if, if you're familiar with the requirements for being in foster care at all, you know that, that normally something bad has happened. Abuse, abandonment, neglect, some other form of trauma or loss. You, you, as a child, you don't get placed in foster care in, unless something really bad has happened to you. And a lot of times what that means is they have not seen a lot of healthy relationships modeled in their life. So at Royal Family, it's all volunteers, and we're all there together, and we have a chance to model all kinds of healthy relationships for them. So some of them have never known their their grandma or grandpa. So we have a a camp grandpa and grandma, and they, they treat them like a grandma and grandpa would. They give them some presents. They invite them to lunch. They do little special things with them. It's an opportunity for that. Some of them have never seen healthy marriages, and so you, you have Eddie and Don Redden who are leading the camp, and everybody knows that's Mr. and Mrs. Redden, and the kids are watching how they interact and how they speak to each other. You've got other married couples who are serving around camp, and sometimes, you know, the husband will be a counselor here, and the wife is a counselor here, and, and their groups will kind of merge together at different times, and the kids start to learn, oh, they're, they're married, they're together. You have fathers and sons who are serving together as buddy counselors. You have mothers and daughters who are serving together. You've got just family relationships all over the camp. And in all these spaces, we're modeling for these kids, because Jesus loves me and changed me, this is now how and why I love my wife, how and why I love my husband. This is how and why I love my kids, how and why I love my parents. And, and that, the kids understand, the, the one that is confusing to them all the time are friendships between men and women who are not married or related. I, I, I can't tell you, it's, this is going to sound bad, but I think you're smart enough to follow me. I can't tell you over the nine years I've been at Royal Family Kids Camp, how many different women from Christian Chapel have been mistaken for my wife. Um not because of anything I've done, okay? So uh, perfectly appropriate all the time. But, but what we've noticed is many of our, our boys and many of our girls who are at camp, they do not have a, a concept or a context for healthy male-female friendships and interactions. And so it's, it's not just with me. You see it all over camp. You say hi to a, um, if a man says hi to a woman as she walks by, the, the question is like, is that your wife? Right? I've now reached the point in life where they've asked me, is that your daughter? <sighs> no she's older than me you know (laughs) um but thanks for the the one straight to the heart there but but it's it's this beautiful opportunity for us to display hey no we we just well how do you know them well we go to church together well why why is she always so nice to him because she's nice to everyone well why does he speak like that to her Because we respect women, and this is how we treat them. And and it's just all of these opportunities, but that love for each other, even though those kids often don't have the language to describe what they're seeing or the questions in their mind, you can hear it, and we can take that opportunity to say, hey, because Jesus loves me, he changes the way I love others and treat them. And this is what Peter's telling us. And it's something that stands out not just at Royal Family Kids Camp, but it stands out in your office, in your home, in your school, in your neighborhood. When you are a kind, loving, respectful person, it shines in the world. And people begin to say there's something different there. But Peter's primary concern is not even how we love out there. It's how we love in here. Love each other deeply from the heart, he says. We have a special responsibility to love those who are part of our local community of followers of christ i have a special responsibility to you you have a special responsibility to me you have a special responsibility to those sitting around you and a community of love does more easily become a community of holiness To truly love will lead us into holy living. Because if I love you, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And if you love me, you're willing to sacrifice for me. And if we just try holiness without the love, we're just going to fight over rules. But if our holiness is motivated and wrapped in love, we will present a remarkably different picture to the world. So be holy. Be foreign. Love deeply. And the last thing he says is keep growing. So we're going to skip down to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Holiness isn't a one-time decision. It's an ongoing lifestyle. And there are two aspects to it. So Peter's encouraging us, keep growing in your faith. Let your salvation grow up in you. Mature in it. Where you are when you come to Christ is not where you should stay. So he's he's connecting us back to that idea of with minds that are alert and fully sober. Let's pay attention to the grace that has come and is to come. Now he's kind of circling it back at the end here and reminding us of the same thing. You must keep growing. And to keep growing involves two things. First of all, it, re- it involves a rejection of the wrong. So Peter says, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Holy living always involves the rejection of certain thoughts, forms of speech, attitudes, and actions. If, if you look at your life right now and say, I said yes to Jesus... And I am exactly the same person I was before I said yes to Jesus. Something's missing. As we begin to ask God, what does it mean for me to be holy? What does it mean for your gospel to work out on the ground around me? He's going to show us some attitudes and actions that we have that we need to get rid of. Peter's phrased this a couple times in this short passage. He's told them, you've got to reject the empty way of life that was given to you by your ancestors. He's them there might be patterns, there might be cycles, there might be behaviors that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And you've bought into the lie that to be part of your family means this is just who you are. We're the family who loses our temper. right? We're the family who will not let anyone take advantage of us. We're the family who hits first. We're the family who fights dirty. We're the family who looks out for each other no matter what the cost or if we're right or if we're wrong. What Peter is saying is, hey, some of those ways your ancestors given you, they're empty. And now you've been brought to new life in Christ. And so to keep growing means there will be a rejection of some of this old way of life. This is where for some of us it gets a little uncomfortable. Especially if we grew up in a, a church or an environment where holiness was all about the rules. We don't ever want anyone to tell us that anything needs to be taken out of our life. And yet as we read through the scriptures, it's it's very clear. There are just certain attitudes, actions, certain things we do and think and say that are incompatible with the grace we have received and the new identity Jesus has given to us. So if we want to keep growing, we have to be willing to lay things down. If we want to keep growing, we need relationships with people in our life who can have the hard conversations with us. We need somebody who will call us out lovingly, but firmly and say, hey, I've seen some things. I've heard some things. I've sensed some things. I don't think this is the path you want to walk down. And I know those aren't pleasant, right? Some of my, one of my least favorite phrases to hear is we need to talk. Chris, we need to talk. I'm like, no, we don't actually. Um, Because I I know what that means. It means I did something, said something, ignored something, forgot something. Uh, Why don't you send me an email and uh, I'll decide if I got it or not. Uh, You know, like just nobody wants that. But what Peter's telling us is, hey, if you're going to keep growing, you have to learn to reject the wrong. But holiness is not just about a taking off or a putting away. It's also about a picking up. So we're going to say, he says, you need to learn to crave Crave the right like a baby craves pure milk. Like newborn infants crave pure spiritual milk. So, holy living, be holy before and love deeply, keep growing. We're going to put aside the wrong, but we're also going to start to chase, to nourish, to run after the right. This is a part of holy living that some of us miss out on. We focus so much on what we're not supposed to do that it becomes this negative, soul-sucking experience. And we forget, Jesus is saying, I want you to put these things down so your hands are free to pick these things up. And as you start to chase the right things, as you start to become a person of the Spirit, as you start to live the life God has called you to live, what you find is your hands, your heart, your head are so full of his goodness, his life, his salvation, that much of this has lost its luster to you. So we're going we're to crave it. And I love the analogy he uses. Like a newborn baby craves milk. I, I make a, in 15 years, I've made a lot of hospital visits at Christian Chapel. By far and away, my favorite hospital visit is when somebody has a baby, all right? I think it's the only time where any of us are ever happy to be in a hospital. And so so I love going in there. And in all those years with my three kids, with all the babies I've held, I have never never once seen a mother or a father holding a newborn baby and being like, they're hungry. Somebody grab me a French fry. Somebody run to the cafeteria, get the patty melt. I think that's what this one needs, right? We, we don't do it. We know babies need milk. Milk is for babies. Those things just go together. And what Peter is saying is just like a baby, not only do they crave it, but it's actually all their body is made to run on. So also you are made to crave the truth, the power, the presence of Jesus Christ as revealed to you in the scriptures through the presence of the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to crave it, and it's all you're made to run on. And once you run on that, you begin to understand holy living is not a burden, but holy living is authentic living. You start to understand, this is actually the way I was made to live. This is the way I was made to interact. This is a marriage I was created to enjoy. This is the way I was created to parent my children, to react to my parents. This is the way I was created to work. Holy living is authentic living. That's how Peter finishes it for us. So he says, you're going to be holy, you're going to be foreign, you're going to love deeply, you're going to keep growing now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that's the part some of us miss out on. We're trying to be holy. We're trying to be foreign. We're trying to love deeply. We're trying to keep growing. We're trying to do it all in our own discipline, our own strength. And we have never once tasted that the Lord is good. We've tried to do it all in our own power. We've tried to do it all in our own strength. And he's just inviting us to come and say, hey, Christ has done it for you. So now just take your place. And, And he's going to reveal in his time and his way the things that need to be laid down and the things that need to be picked up. But when he does, it will be an experience that leads to life. Anytime we talk about holiness, my prayer is that it does not feel like a weight being placed on your shoulders. But it feels like power coming and picking you up. Saying this is the life you were made for not this mess down here, and that once you taste the good, the authentic life of holy living, you will more quickly and and consistently reject all the fakes and substitutes that our world tries to peddle. Because you'll know this is where my satisfaction comes from. This is where my soul is completely and totally secure. This is where my relationships are healthiest and strongest. When I live the life Jesus died to make possible for me. So if you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for us this morning and give us a chance to respond to what God is saying to us. Jesus, we come to you today and we pray first of all, Lord, for those who may not have a relationship with you. We ask that you would give them strength in their mind and spirit to repent of their sins, to receive you as their Lord and Savior and to walk into their new identity as children of God. Lord, we thank you that your salvation is not based on our effort, but on the finished work of Christ. And So we ask for any person who has not made that choice today, may they receive your gift and take their place in your family. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak strongly to those of us who are following you. Show us the areas of our life where you are calling us to increasing depths and experiences of holiness. Show us where we need strength to stand out as you've created us to. Show us the spaces where we need to trust your spirit to love one another deeply. Show us the areas where you're calling us to put down certain thoughts and behaviors and attitudes and pick up other things that lead to life. Most of all, Lord, we pray for every person in this room, for every person watching online, that you will give us life-giving experiences of your spirit that we will taste and see that the Lord is good. And we'll reject all the the forgeries, the fakes, the substitutes that try to take your place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.